Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey there, it's Friday. It's the Daily Bible Podcast. Happy Friday. And you came back. It's almost New Year. Yep. Here we go. Unless you didn't come back. In which case, come back. Please. Where'd you go? Like and subscribe. Yeah. Smash the like. Smash it. <laughs> hey, when are we going to do a YouTube channel? People are begging us to do YouTubes. People, everyone is always asking me. Everyone's why? Always, <laughs> that's like what they say. Right. No one asked you that, buddy. No. Come on. Nobody asked you. Pastor Rod, I've been curious about your skincare regimen. Everybody's always <laughs> asking me, how does Pastor Rod keep his skin looking so flawless? Dude, when I went to California, I got to do something I hadn't done for a while. Yeah. I got to go to the sauna. Okay. I, I, so I was in there and I, I you know, you, you build up a tolerance. Yeah. So I was only able to be in there for 10 minutes, but it was glorious. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Sauna. Sauna. Yeah. yeah the sauna. Yeah. I want to go to one of those like Nordic countries someday. They, they always, Switzerland would be amazing. Amazing. Like the beauty of the, the, the scenery and, and geography there. I just would love to go. Let's there just call someday. it a mission trip and we'll go. Mission trip to Switzerland. We're on a mission trip. There was a song called Mission Trip to Mexico. Did you ever listen to that one growing I up? I did not. Yeah. That Sounds one, offensive. Uh, yeah. Who was that by, man? That's that's now just- Stephen Curtis Chapman. Uh, it was not Stephen Curtis Chapman. David Crowder. It was not David Crowder. Stephen Crowder. <laughs> it was during the whole Scott era. Like, um, I mean, oh, Five Iron Frenzy. It may have been- Super them. Tones. It was not Super Tones, but Super Tones Strike Back. Yeah. Dude, such good. See, we were talking about how bad music's gotten- um, that was when the good old days, man. Funny enough, though, those those bands that were popular when we were young, they're they're doing tours now. Yeah, they're like, oh, you know, reunion tour, comeback tour. Everybody is nostalgic. Now we got the money for it too. Like totally. we got expendable cash. Yeah, can't couldn't do it when you were actually into them. Right. But now that they're touring, I'm like, I want to see Supertones in concert. That'd be dope. Right. So the the artist is called Bunch of Believers. Bob. Bunch of Believers. Bob. I don't and the I've song is called Mission Trip to Mexico. That's funny. Your homework is to go listen to the song. You hear and that then, audience? The mission trip to Switzerland will Makes land a little bit more. Yeah, we we could go to Switzerland. They need Jesus there, right? Yeah, they do. And I hear they've got great hot chocolate. Isn't that where they recorded that uh, or, or shot that that movie, that famous movie? Uh, oh, yeah, that one. Yep. A deer, a female Oh, Sound of Music. That, that place, right? Yeah, I, sure. I don't know. The Von Trapp family? The Von Trapp, yeah. The Von they Trapps. lived in Vermont. I do know that because my parents took me on a vacation to the Von Trapp family lodge oh, and they you, sold it to me as them? something that was like going to be awesome. And it wasn't. And I was like, I'm like eight. I don't want to be. They take me cross country skiing. I'm like, well, oh. I, I don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, Von Trapp family. Von Trapps. Yep. Yeah. They. I think they did live in Switzerland. Well, I feel like it. I mean, I could be wrong. Someone out there is yelling at us right now, saying, "Obviously." Well, they ran away from the Nazis. <laughs> yes. So maybe they didn't live in Switzerland. That that could that could mess it up. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, if you got a house in Switzerland and you're like, "Hey, I want to bless our pastors." And you want to throw that our way for a week? We'll we'll take it. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, we'll get all kinds of emails flooding the inbox. I got one. I got one. You guys can fight it out. We'll have a cage match. Hey, uh, let's talk about Zechariah. Sounds like a good idea. I don't think Zechariah was ever in Switzerland, but Switzerland existed during Zechariah's era. Oh, okay. Before we get to Zechariah, this one, man, this one has been keeping me up at night Uh-oh. recently. You ready for this? I don't know. Okay. George Washington died in 1799. Okay. Okay. The first dinosaur fossil was not discovered until the mid 1800s. 
George Washington did not know dinosaurs existed. Wow. Does that not boggle your mind? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Like, That's interesting. And not just George. He was just the one that showed up on that that uh, image that I saw. But like, that's crazy. That's crazy that so many people just didn't know they existed. I think it's uh, that falls in the same camp. I mean, we, we're still learning a lot of things. Yeah. It's like you talk about the Marianas Trench all the, trench all the time, where it's like, there's things down there that like, we don't know. Right. We, we just can't even get that deep yet. But there's things out there, even the way that our brain works yeah. is still a mystery in, yeah. a, in a large part. So I... I, I, I would be excited by that to be George Washington to see there's still a lot of stuff out there that I don't know about, right. like dinosaurs, but I, I'm excited about it now. Toothbrushes. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And, and better teeth replacement. But I'm excited about now. 2023, there's a million things that we're learning. And now that we have computing power, there's things that we might be able to understand that we have not yet been able to understand because right. we just didn't have sufficient processes for that. Right. I'm excited about that. You know what they call the things in the Marianas Trench, don't you? What USOs. Unidentified swimming objects. Oh, yep. I there see you go. what you did there. There you go. Hey, Zechariah chapter 10. <laughs> I think this is already some people's favorite episode that we've done. I, we, should do, we should do a vote. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, Zechariah chapter 10. We are in the book still. Um, hey, it, there's an indictment of the leaders as it opens up. The people wander like sheep. They're afflicted for lack of a shepherd. This is, again, familiar language. We've read about this before in other prophets where the, the leaders are being indicted. And my anger is hot against the shepherds. I will punish the leaders. Um, but but the Lord is going to provide the ultimate leader. And that's where the, the focus turns in verse 4. From him shall come the cornerstone, the tent peg, the battle bow. From him, every ruler, all of them together. And they shall fight because the Lord is with them. So there is going to be an ultimate leader that is going to bring redemption in the future. He's going to bring back the house of Judah, verse 6, strengthen and save the house of Joseph. Remember Joseph, the dad of Ephraim, Ephraim representative of the northern tribes. So you've got the southern kingdom, northern kingdom back together there. United. United. Um, and God is going to do this. I will whistle for them, verse 8, and gather them in. I will bring them home, verse 10. I will make them strong in the Lord. They shall walk in his name. So an indictment against weak leaders, but then an anticipation and contrast with the greatest leader being the Messiah, who's going to do all of these things to undo the division that was was leading the people into exile at this time. Hope you're noticing that as we read through this, there's a lot of repetition in scripture. There's there's lots of themes that Common. we emerge over and over again. Your job as the Bible student is to identify those themes and to make the connections. Not all of them are meant to I don't know, to interpret one another in a rigid and wooden way, but they are meant to parallel one another. They're doing this on purpose. God is doing this on purpose. So keep an eye out for these things. As you think about John chapter 10, 10 or 11 shepherd um, yeah jesus being the good shepherd yep. i am the good shepherd i mean he's thinking about all of these things as the, as a good jewish boy he would have been raised in the old testament tradition and of course you know that he was so well versed and even at a young age that he was able to stupefy those who were in the temple so <laughs> what sorry i just got harry potter just jumped in my mind stupefy i does he say that i, 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 haven't, I haven't seen the movie not in its totality anyway anyway Pay attention to the repeated themes, make the connections. You will reap reward for that. Yes, you will. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, chapter 11, uh, we get into the opening of the initial rejection of the Messiah. Um, and, and this is going to lead to uh, judgment from the Lord. Look at verse 10. I took my staff of favor and I broke it, annulling the covenant I had made with all peoples. 
uh, this covenant, which one is it? Uh, is it the Mosaic? Is it, is, is it the Adamic? Is it the Noahic? Which covenant is this? Well, this is probably more of a general uh, reference to the covenant of protection that God had put over his people. Think back to the blessings and cursings of Deuteronomy 28. This is a reference, I think, to the judgment of God coming for the rejection and, and the, the removal of his favor from them. And that's why it's the staff of favor from them. Uh, but then you get this interesting scene as uh, chapter 11 comes to a conclusion that should cause us all to think about, hopefully, uh, the events of the the crucifixion of Jesus that immediately preceded. Uh, they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Um, the, the shepherd's worth, in other words, was con- counted out to be 30 pieces of silver. Uh, and then, it, look, it says, so I took the 30 pieces of silver and I threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke the second staff of union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But more than that, he took the money and threw it back into the the temple courts. And then the religious leaders of the Jews took the money and bought a field to bury the the unnamed that was the potter's field. So this is dripping with allusion here uh, to what we'll find fulfilled by Judas in the future. But this at this time is talking about that initial rejection of Christ. It's it's a forward looking to when Israel will reject the Messiah at the first coming. So this brings up an interesting thought prophecy isn't always stated in the way of like, this is a prophetic word of the Lord. This is prophetic. I mean, clearly Zechariah is intending to be, it's an apocalyptic literature. Again, it's at least it's partially apocalyptic. It intends to point forward. But when you talk about Jesus fulfilling prophecy, and you mentioned it recently, Pastor Pigeon, one of your sermons about the, the likelihood of one man fulfilling all those prophecies, when we talk about those prophecies, we're not often talking about like, oh, this particular jot and tittle where it says, here's a prophecy. Jesus is going to be born here. Right. Here's a prophecy. Jesus is going to be that. It's not like that, which makes it hard when you're trying to say, look, Jesus fulfills prophecy. We're going to look at a text like this and we're going to say, here, here, look at, look at Zechariah 11. And someone's going to say, that's not talking about Jesus. We're going to say, well, yes, it is. It is right. because even though Zechariah is the one who's the shepherd here and he's the one acting this out, it actually points forward to someone who's better than Zechariah, the fulfillment of what Zechariah is doing here. So, as we think about prophecy, as you read through the text, uh, a good reader is going to discern clearly. It's going to read slowly. You're going to have to, I don't know, do do your due diligence as a Bible reader and, and just not oversimplify your biblical text. you got to appreciate it for what it is and how it presents itself. And this is the way it does it. This is what prophecy looks like. So hope you make note of that. Write it down. Jot it down. Make the connections. But again, be, be a careful Bible reader. Can't just yep. speed over this stuff. Yep. Yeah. Well, chapter 12, uh, this is an unfortunate uh, shift in our, our uh, break in our Bible reading because 12, 13, and 14 really all uh, should be read together. But anyways, chapter 12 gets into some of the, the 12, 13, 14, I'll, I'll just show my hand, are one of the, the three of the main chapters as to why I'm, I'm a dispensationalist um, are found here, especially in, in 12 and 13. And in 12, it opens up, uh, and this isn't why per se, but as we get later on in 12, I'll, I'll point it out. But in 12, it opens up with a picture of the Battle of Armageddon. Um, you've gotten verse two, behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. These are the events of Revelation 16 through 19. Some of the things that we've just been reading about in the book of Revelation, Zechariah is looking forward to foretelling these things that are going to happen, that uh, Jerusalem is going to be besieged by all these nations. We just talked about that in yesterday's episode, and Christ is going to come back with his army, and he is going to bring judgment. And so in that sense, Jerusalem will be the cup of God's wrath poured out on the nations. It's not going to be Jerusalem and the inhabitants fighting, but Jerusalem as God's holy hill, hill, God's holy city 
that will be the cup of staggering. But then beginning in verse 8, this is where we get to it. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest of them shall be like David. The house of David will be like God. So God is protecting his people. And then look at 10. Here it is. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced. Doesn't get any more explicit than that. You were just talking about the general prophecies that are sometimes a little bit more difficult to ascertain the specific fulfillments there. Right. This is the opposite. This, this is, is in one. your face. Yeah. Him whom they have pierced. That's no one other than Jesus. And notice, they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. This is true repentance and this is the salvation of Israel. This is where uh, the, the, the future deliverance of the people of God is going to come from. Those that are saved from Israel are going to be saved because they're going to come to understand that Jesus is the Messiah and that they're going to they're gonna weep over the fact that they crucified him. This has not yet happened. The church did not fulfill this. This is yet future. This is going to happen in the future for Israel, which is one of the reasons why, one of the main reasons why we believe that there is still a future for the people of God. That's right. And one quick note here, the bottom of chapter 12, and actually I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'm going to steal chapter 13 verse one. Okay. And I'm going to keep it in chapter 12 and I'm going to say that that's, they're they're connected, which is why I think the ESV does a good job uh, of putting it kind of connected to the, to the paragraph there. Uh, But just a quick note, chapter 13 verse one is where we get the, the inspiration for the song, uh, the fountain filled with blood. There, there there is a fountain filled with blood drawn Mm -hmm. from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Such a good song, but that's it where is. it comes from. It is. Yeah, and and that, to that point, is the means of forgiveness for Israel. Amen. It's not the law. Again, it's not anything like that. It's not the sacrificial system. It's Jesus. And so just like it was for us, it will be for them. So how are Old Testament saints saved? Same way we are. Same way we they are. They just put their faith in a future sacrifice. We put ours in a past sacrifice. Right, right. Yeah. Hey, Revelation chapter 20, then, we are venturing into the waters of a thousand years. So talk about um, dispensationalism. Uh, here it is again. And here's the, the two main views. There are others, but the two main views are these. There is the view that is embraced by our uh, brothers and sisters in some of the other churches that's called amillennialism. Ah negates, the, that prefix ah is a, a negative prefix, millennialism. So it's a, it's a metaphorical thousand years. So it's so, not like they don't say there is one. They just don't believe in a literal right, one. Right, Yeah, what's being negated is the literal element there. So it's a, it's a metaphorical thousand years that we are in the millennial kingdom right now uh, as it is, that Christ is reigning spiritually in the hearts of believers. You'll hear that, that sort of language uh, from those in the amillennial camp. The other side are the dispensationalists, like we ourselves are, that believe in a future literal thousand-year reign on earth. We've talked about uh, why we interpret things literally in the book of Revelation already multiple times. And, and here, if, if you look, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times here. Uh, the, the phrase a thousand years, a thousand years, thousand years, thousand years, thousand years is, is repeated seven times over here just in chapter 20. And the activity is very specific of what's taking place. And even as you think about the, the first part there, that Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. I don't know about you, but I look around the world that we're living in today. I, I don't know how you can say that Satan is is being bound if we're in a metaphorical thousand year reign on, of Christ on earth. Um, I, I, I think there are, are elements that, that we're missing here to be able to, to make this a metaphor. Now, 
Granted, I'm oversimplifying that, but uh, here's what I want you to, to, to notice. As dispensationalists, here's what, what happens here. Uh, the, uh, look at verse, uh, verse 4. Uh, it says, Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus, the word of God, those who had not worshipped the beast. These come to life, and they reign with Christ for a thousand years. Uh, so believers, the church is here. Remember, we talked about the church in the last episode. Now there's, there's more that are come, being given their resurrection bodies here as well. But verse five says, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Who are they? They are the unbelievers. They are the, the wicked. They are those that have died without Christ. Those, they are those that have rebelled against him. They're not being given the resurrection bodies at this point. That's going to come later. These are the saints. These are the followers of Jesus. These are those that have uh, trusted in Christ. They are going to be there during the millennial kingdom. So all that to say, how does this apply to you and me? We're going to be there. What's it going to look like that we're going to reign with Christ? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't tell you, uh, aside from the fact that I know that we're going to be there and it's going to be pretty pretty amazing for us to be there. Yeah, it's a really cool idea too, uh, reigning with Christ. There's a, a rulership, an agency of uh, of authority given to you. And I, man, I, I have to imagine it's going to be similar. There's going to be some parallels to what it looks like here today where everybody has a boss of some sort. Everyone has certain kind of a uh, position to fulfill, a role to play within their within their church or within their job. So work inherently is good. Service is inherently good. Jesus is going to repurpose and redeem your work and make it a fixture of his glory. So if you're thinking about heaven and uh, eternal, eternal, eternal time with Christ being this kind of boring, like, Hey, all we're doing is worshiping all day and singing praises and singing repeated choruses of blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, maybe there'll be some of that, <laughs> but that's not going to be all that it is. We're going to have some really exciting, fun, purposeful work to do and it will ultimately bring glory to jesus yeah it's not gonna be like god's gonna be like okay you saying i could sing of your love forever here we go (laughs) show me do it (laughs) yeah i don't mean to skate over it so flippantly but look at verse three Uh, look at the description here satan is thrown into the pit it's shut and sealed over so that he might not deceive the nations any longer let me just ask you christian listening to this when you look at the world scene right now do you do you believe honestly that Satan is not in the business of deceiving the nations right now? Do you believe that we're living in a, 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 a time period presently, as the amillennialists would suggest, wherein Satan is somehow bound and, and being kept back from deceiving the nations? I, I don't see it at all. And when we look at the description of the millennial kingdom in other places in Scripture, and uh, in the the uh, the blessings that are going to be there, and the the holiness that's going to be there, there's still going to be sin. But generally speaking, the overall tenor of godliness that's going to exist in the millennial kingdom, I can't apply it to a metaphorical pre- current existence that we we find ourselves in now. So I I do believe that this is yet future, that this is coming. This is after. Remember chronologically, this is after the defeat of the the uh, the 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 final battle, the last battle, Armageddon. Uh, the, the Antichrist is gone. The false prophet is gone. And here there's there's a thousand year period where Satan is bound. Now, at the end of that, chapter 20, he's released. He's allowed to deceive again for a period of time. And then there's the final battle. And much like Armageddon, this is not much of a battle at all. Satan deceives as many as he can, and they gather again together again to try to defeat the Lord. And again, it's not, it's not a battle at all. God wins. God wins. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Why would we even try? Right, right. Notice then he's cast into the lake of fire and sulfur. By the way, that's important to note. Hell is not a permanent place. Hell is temporal, as is heaven, as we'll see in tomorrow's episode. But hell is a temporal place in the sense that the the final uh, place of torment for uh, those that have rejected Christ is this lake of fire that burns with sulfur that's being described here. Uh, hell is essentially emptied out into the lake of fire, and that's where the, the final 
place of torment will be for those that have rejected Christ. So, is the lake of fire a? How do I say this? It, I mean, it conveys something. Is it a literal lake? Maybe not a, a watery lake, but is it a literal place of just? fire and ongoing torment. I, I, I think so. I, I think it's a, again, this, I think John is trying to describe as best he can what he's seeing. Um, but hell is a physical location. It's a real location. Heaven is a physical location. It's a real location. Right. Um, so I believe that this will be an actual location and this is how John is describing it to us. Uh, and it's uh, whatever it's actually going to be. It's terrifying enough to think just in language that we can understand of what it would be like to be in a lake of fire. Helpful clarification. Yeah. Judgment before the great white throne. This is important too. Those that appear before the great white throne are only unbelievers. This is the the resurrection of those that are were not resurrected during uh, the millennial kingdom. This this is the resurrection of all those that have rejected God. Th- this is when those in hell are given their own version of a of a of an immortal body. It's a body that's prepared for destruction and not for glory. It's a body that's prepared to withstand the lake of fire for all of eternity, uh, which is, is terrifying again in its own right. But these are the ones that it's at the great white throne. Christians do not appear before the great white throne. The Bema seat of Christ is different. That's a reward. This is about eternal damnation and judgment. And those are the ones that appear before the great white throne. Those not found written in the Lamb's book of life. So this is basically the climax of human civilization. Yep. This is it. This is yep. act four, like part four of the the grand meta narrative of scripture, which in case you're not familiar with that, the meta narrative of scripture is typically broken down into four pieces, creation, Genesis chapters one and two, fall, Genesis chapter three, redemption, the period of the church, New Testament, and all that Christ has done, and then consummation, or sometimes we call it restoration, or there's usually another, there's another name for that too. There's a, there's a third one out there, but that's act four. So four act play, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. This is the final part of human history as we know it, which will usher in the, when we get to chapter 22, the rest of human history. It'll be like a whole new book entirely where it's going to be written with perfection, protected from every element of sin, shame, and guilt. So I look forward to that. Yeah. Hey, well, guess what too? From this point on in the rest of your daily Bible reading in the New Testament, there's no more sin. Wow. Yep. For this year. That's exactly. (laughs) For one more day. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in with us again today. And uh, we'll catch you again tomorrow as we, man, only two days away from finishing up Dude, Daily Bible Reading. Good job, guys. It. Keep going. See ya. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org, and we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.